the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We wouldn't have time to read all 186,098. So many people decided on Tuesday that it would be a good idea to vote for a socialist to run Allegheny County. They probably didn't know they were also voting in another really important election. And now, it's time for The Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. That's right, Sarah in Amarado won two elections this week. What do you suppose it is that the 186,098 jerks, uh, I mean voters, uh, like about socialism? Maybe we should cut them some slack and assume that very few of them actually do anything about Sarah or that she's a socialist and just saw the D next to her name and then you know, let it rip. She got her, got her start as a volunteer for Bernie Sanders and was so inspired by his cluelessness that she thought she could fool enough people to get elected to the state house. And she was right. And here's what she promised to do if she became Allegheny County executive, which she, of course, did. Quote, I will focus on narrowing the gap between the have and have-nots by investing our public resources into helping all of our residents meet their basic needs and build the pathways to opportunity in partnership with our nonprofit, private, and fellow elected leaders. We will bridge the divide left by the status quo by bringing government into our communities, starting with those hit first and worst by the downturn of industry, racism, and climate change. That's right. You got that? Sound that uh, sound, sound familiar to you? You know what's funny? If you look at a map of the voter breakdown by precinct from Tuesday night, you see that the map is red everywhere except in the city, which means that the poop on the street party got most of its votes from the people who live in the areas where you're, you know, most likely to find poop on the street in the future. And Sarah Inamorado, the head of the poop on the street party in Allegheny County, got enough votes to become this week's AM twelve fifty the answer jerk of the week. And it won't be her last win. I mean she's gonna be around for four years. Uh, anyway, when we come back, there's a lot of turmoil in college football right now with conference realignment, antitrust lawsuits, players being paid. But how much about big-time college football is actually about, you know, college? We'll have a comparison to a pit team from a long time ago, and you'll see that the answer is not much. And in our second half hour, you know about fake news, but we'll have a former longtime employee of Fox News here to tell you about dumb news. Stick around. Well, there's a lot of turmoil in college football right now, at least uh, there is in major college football. Conferences are being realigned. Uh, geography doesn't matter at all. Uh, players are being paid. They're moving around from team to team. And it got me to wondering how much college there is in major college football. Jerry DePaula covers, the, uh, covers pit football for the Tribune Review. 
He joins us now. Jerry, long time no talk. Hey. Thanks for coming on the Hi, show. John. How are you? Good to hear from you. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Good to hear from you. You're still out there uh, on the beat, right, covering Pitt. Um, yeah. Every every day we get down there, interview the players, interview the coach a couple times a week. And uh, uh, it's been a little strange this year because uh, they really have underachieved yeah, uh, oh, in, yeah. in the uh, not to the highest magnitude. But uh, it's still fun. The games are still good. Man, you, you, you started as an ink-stained wretch, and now you, I don't know what you're what you're stained by now. You don't get to use ink much anymore. But uh, no, we, we our, our our newspaper publishes seven days a week. Oh, does it still? Okay, so you're out yeah, there on the street days. too. Yeah, we're on the street, and then in the shop and save. Sometimes I can I can find it too. Good, good. Well, you've been on the pit beat for a while now, uh, but you've been covering sports as I said for a long time. Uh, how is pit being affected by all of the changes? Well, you know, Pitt, uh, in, in the, the people who are running their collective, uh, a guy named Chris Bickle, uh, who actually donated $20 million to the football program a couple of years ago. Uh, he's, I don't know if he's a billionaire, but he's pretty darn close to being a billionaire. He's a Pitt grad. And, uh, you know, he, he struck up a friendship uh, with Pat Narduzzi. He liked the way Narduzzi was running things. And uh, he started this collective called Alliance 412, uh, in which, you know, a bunch of donors get together and, you know, uh, pull their money. Uh, their donations to uh, support support the players, you know, to uh, get the players um, paid. And now every one of the players, everyone scholarship players, are being paid a ten figure sum once a year. So uh, it's a little different than uh, what you're used to back in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. But uh, it's the way of the world these days. Well, uh, are there pit players getting paid ten figures? Five figures. Five, five figures. Fig- so yeah. The, the t- Fifty thousand bucks a year, you know, something like that. Give or take. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and you. Uh, by the way, I don't mind the dog. I like dogs. So if he barks, oh. you, you, okay. You don't Sorry have about to, that. You John. don't have to tell him to shut up. I actually would prefer prefer you keep quiet and let him bark. But that's so. Don't worry about the dog. <laughs> I like dogs that much. Um, so a few weeks ago, you wrote about the 60th anniversary celebration of one of Pitt's best teams. Um, and I, I always think about that team not because it went, you know, because of what happened on the field so much, but how it compares to what's going on in college football now. And I've been thinking this for years, not just in the last few. So, what was unique about that team? Let's start with that. Well, I, I got the idea for the story actually, you know, from our good friend EJ Borghetti, mm-hmm. uh, whose father Ernie was a All American defensive lineman on that team. In yeah, EJ is the sports information director at Pitt. Yeah. Yes. Right. And. Uh, uh, you know, Ernie, I talked to Ernie and a couple other, other teammates for the 1963 team. And uh, one thing Ernie told me was that several players from that team actually came to Pitt because they wanted to go to dental school. Yep. And there must have been four or five guys on that team, you know, good players, who became dentists. As a matter of fact, when Mike Ditka, he wasn't on that team, but yep. when Mike Ditka went to Pitt, he went to Pitt because he wanted to be a dentist. Can you imagine walking and, into a dentist's office and Mike Ditka is standing there with a drill? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm scared enough about to go to a dentist office. Yeah. I don't need a guy like Dick right. holding one of those drills. Yeah, yeah. go <laughs> ahead. Big Sorry, pointed thing on the end. But uh, and, and those, and I, I talked to those guys, you know, for that a couple of those guys for that story, and they all made the point. You know, they had a bunch of really good academics on that team. It wasn't mm-hmm. just football players, and there were good football players on that team. But guys who went on to do you know great things in life. One guy you, you know very well played on that team was Paul Martha. Yeah. Uh, who became an executive with the Penguins and the San Francisco 49ers you know, under, under Eddie DeBartolo. And he was, you know, the top running back on that team. And, you know, Ernie Borghetti was an All-American and several other guys 
Uh, Fred Missouri was the quarterback. Actually, he, he actually married the coach's daughter, John Michael Posey's daughter, um, which is kind of a strange situation. It worked out well, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Uh, but they were they, in that was a season where the, the, the JFK assassination, and it turned out that uh, they had to delay the Pitt Penn State game that year for two weeks. Yeah. And the bull the bull committee the bull committees the people in charge of the bulls didn't want to wait. Uh, so Pitt was nine and one that year. He ended up playing Penn State and beating them, you know, two weeks late. Uh, but they did, didn't go to a bowl because they wanted to play Texas for the national championship. But the, the Cotton Bowl couldn't wait for Pitt to see if they would beat Penn State or not. And it turned out they uh, were nine and one, but uninvited. Yeah, and and it, it wasn't that um, it wasn't that common for Pitt to be that good. They had some bad teams. Uh, they they weren't quite as bad as they became after that, which. Uh, they were right. terrible for about ten years after that. Um, yeah, and so Johnny Major showed up. Yeah, uh, you know they were. I think they were one in ten in 1972, the year before Major showed up. And I, uh, but uh, Pitt, Pitt people don't like to talk about it, and Pittsburgh <laughs> Pitt football not. fans don't like to talk about it. But Johnny Majors didn't recruit a lot of dentists, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't think he did. <laughs> they they opened up the the recruiting avenues uh, yeah, in those days uh, ten years later. And they brought in, I think they brought in, they, I talked to Jackie Sherrill once, and he told me that uh, they must have brought in about 100 guys. Yeah. You know, and uh, they worked out for them because they ended up in a national championship. They went to a bowl game for the first time in forever in 1973, I mm-hmm. think it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, but the thing about that 63 team was that uh, these guys, you know, they, they, 60 years later, they don't regret the fact they didn't go to a bowl game and didn't get a chance to play Texas for a national championship, what they did was they forged some great relationships. And mm-hmm. that's what happens now in, in college football. I've noticed that, you know, even covering Pitt, you know, in the last couple of years, these guys are, you know, very close. They hang out together. They, you know, do things together and, and they, they forge bonds and, and friendships that last beyond their college years. And that's the one thing that the 63 guys told me that, uh, yeah, it was, it was a shame, you know, just because we lost the Navy and Roger Starbuck, we weren't able to, uh, you know, go play for a national championship, but we still had a good time, and we we made a lot of good friends. Yeah, and uh, Rick Leeson was the top running back on that team. He became a dentist, um, right? And and you can, I'm going to get to the reason I want to talk about this in a second. But uh, anybody who's lived in Western PA for a long time and paid any attention to Pitt football back in those days, um, you saw the shingles hanging outside the uh, dentist's office. And it was uh, somebody you remembered playing pit football. They're still out there doing commercials. Some of them, uh, you know, exactly. and they're they're, mm-hmm. they're still working. So they're not they're they're not in their eighties. They're in their fifties and sixties. But here's my point, Jerry. This is what I'm. This is I'm seeing what's going on in college football. I don't cover sports a hundred percent of the time anymore. But I, it's call it. There's 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 all this talk about what's going on in college football, and. Um, and everybody talks about, as I mentioned, the you know the conference realignment, players getting paid, they can transfer without having to sit out a year, all those things that have changed. But you know, I you never have you. When was the last time? I guess a better way to do it is ask you. When was the last time you heard a Pitt player say, you know, a recruit that you went and talked to, who chose Pitt over other schools? When was the last time you heard one say he chose Pitt because he wanted to major in whatever engineering or? Uh, uh, then it, he well, wanted to become I, a dentist. When was the last time? I, I, I haven't, heard, haven't heard anybody who wanted to be a dentist, but I have heard guys, and you know, I've talked to a couple of recruits who announced their commitment, 
and they said, you know, Pitt had a nice business school that they okay. liked. Uh, or, yeah. uh, you know, Pitt has a basketball player now named William Jeffress from Erie. Uh, I remember talking to him when, when he graduated, when he or committed to Pitt. And uh, he said he went to Pitt because he liked the academic uh, situation. And, uh, you, you know, it's one thing they do when they bring these kids on campus, these high school kids, uh, to recruit them. They take them around and show them the campus. They, you know, put them, put them in front of a lot of the academic people so they'll get an idea of what they might want to study when they go to Pitt. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I, I can't say that I'm with these kids all the time and I know that they all go to class 100% yeah. of the time. But, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of them do and a lot of them do graduate. Some of them don't. Yeah, I, you know, you know, when, when Jordan Addison went to USC, from when he transferred from Pitt, he didn't go to USC because he wanted to study. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, that, yeah, that's a good one. He, he's he wanted a, to be a football player. Yeah, he made big news. He was their best, one of their best players. He's in the NFL, doing well right now, a wide receiver. Uh, when he went to USC, and they, you know, there were stories about why he went and how he kind of felt bad leaving his Pitt team behind, but he he, he got paid a lot of money, money to go right. to USC. I don't remember anybody saying, "Well, are you all?" all <laughs> Are all of your uh, credits transferring? Is there a problem with that? Are you, you know, and, I don't think he cared. No, and these these kids they sign a, a deal for millions of dollars. What is the point of having them on a campus, taking up space in a classroom? That that's what's driving me crazy. It's uh, and I know that's well, a, a rarity because most kids don't get deals like that. That's true. I mean, you know, maybe you know, two or three percent of uh, of yeah. the players on any team get big time deals. Uh, but the, the point is, John, that a lot of kids do, you know, you know, playing football, do want to get an education. Just the other day, for instance, you know, I, I was walking past the cafeteria that Pitt has up there, and uh, one of the players was yelling to one of his teammates, hey, hold on, guy, i got to go to class now. I can't, I can't hang out here. i, uh-huh. I got to go to class. He didn't say that for my benefit because he didn't see me. Right. But, uh, uh, you know, the kids, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if they all go to class or they all graduate, but uh, I think a lot of them do you know, take advantage of it. Some of them come back later. And finish your education, uh, you know, and it's it's different. Like you said, you know, everybody's getting these five figure, you know, annual uh, checks every year, and and uh, you know they can transfer anytime they want. Anytime the coach looks at them funny, they can transfer. They can play right away. It's a way different situation. But the, the way I look at it, John, is the games are still fun. The games are so interesting. Uh, you know, it's going to be even better next year when you get twelve teams in the playoff instead of four. Mm-hmm. It's going to create a lot more interest, I think, and. Uh, you know, whether, whether or not Pitt's going to be in it, uh, who knows. Uh, but, uh, the, uh, you know, it's a different world now. We have to sort of adjust to it. The coaches have to adjust to it. The players have to adjust to it. As far as the media goes, we have more things we have to worry about now. Transfer portal information, uh, NIL deals. You know, uh, these kids are all getting these great deals. Kenny Pickett last two years ago when he was a senior quarterback at Pitt, he got a deal with a restaurant in, in Oakland where he could take his offensive lineman to dinner once a week. Free of charge. Yeah, and, and he, the pit would have been uh, been declared ineligible for a bowl game if that would have happened twenty years ago. Somebody would have. Found yeah, that. and the other thing they can do is they they can also put their name attach their names to these uh, charity functions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember Cal, Cal Adamitis, uh, yeah. the long snapper, a couple years ago. Uh, he started a a, a a drive to raise money for Children's Hospital, and then they ended up you know cut his hair. Remember he had that long hair. Mm-hmm. And uh, they cut it, and then they raised several, several thousand dollars, uh, probably dozens of thousand dollars, maybe eighty or maybe a hundred thousand dollars, you know, for for a good cause, which he couldn't have attached his name to if it wasn't for NIL. Yeah. So it, it is a good thing now. 
We're talking to uh, Jerry DePaula. He covers Pitt for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Um, I, I guess what's what's bothered me uh, is that I, I think it's unfair in a lot of ways for kids. Uh, if you are a, you know, nobody knows what Sidney Crosby got on his SATs, and no nobody cared about Andrew McCutcheon how he did in English class because they didn't go to college, they came out and they became pros, and it just seems unfair to me that to this day football players, if you're an 18 year old football player, you still have your ability to become a pro. Uh, dependent upon your ability to work in a classroom and they have nothing to one has nothing to do with the other but that's it doesn't happen in baseball doesn't happen in hockey but it happens that's in true that's true it's a different world and then and the nfl has a great feeder system that they don't have to pay for it. no that's they right. can get these kids trained you know without you know, spending a dime to train them and it's, mm-hmm. it's a great deal for the nfl it's a great deal. now it's a great deal for the kids you know if i had a son you know and he was a, a good football player I wouldn't feel bad about him getting the five-figure. Oh no, no, once a year. No, yeah. but 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 I guess my point is that it's it's um, the, the the college part of football has been taken out of it. As you said, you run into a lot of most of the kids are not going to the NFL. Ninety-eight percent of them aren't going to play in the NFL. Right. But you know what, Jerry? You know this. Eighty-eight percent of them think they're going to go to the NFL when they sign up to play at Pitt. That's true, and, and a lot of them leave, leave school early yeah. uh, to try to go to the NFL draft, and it doesn't work out for them. And see, you know, that, that's happened numerous times. Yeah, and if you're a baseball and, player, you you get sent to you, you sign up with a you sign with the Pirates, and they send you to a Class A team, and you don't get rich, but you don't have to worry about going to class. All you have to worry about is playing baseball, and you get paid yeah. instead of uh, you know uh, having to pay to go to college. Where, well, you don't have to pay if you're if you're a scholarship player. It pays to be an athlete, John. It really does. Yeah, yeah. But here's another thing, though, about the 1963 team. If you look at the team picture, there are two black players on it. (laughs) That's 60 years ago. Two black players. Eric Crabtree, I forget the other guy's name. Crabtree was a star. Uh, He was a wide receiver. But Mm -hmm. only two black players. So that's obviously changed big time. Well, you know, the, the, the coaches, uh, you, know, you know, I guess they have to adjust to who they're recruiting and they, yeah. they, they go out and they, they and, and what they do is they go out and they have to you know, sell these kids, you know, with, with NIL money. Yeah. And the, the best players aren't going to go to your school if you don't have enough NIL money. Is that, that's why Chris Bickle, you know, the guy that donated $20 million yeah. to the Pitt football program, has put the collective together. So when Pat Neruzzi goes out in, in November and December and January, and tries to get you know, somebody to play quarterback next year, he's going to have you know some money in, in, yeah. in his pocket that he can offer these kids. If he doesn't have that money, that kid's going to end up going to Notre Dame or somewhere else. Yeah, and and what they when those people would donate money before, it used to be to build a nice new weight room. And now it's to I, I, they expect it to be a check written to a player to get him to come so the donor can go watch him on Saturday, right? Yeah, it, it, it's amazing you know the, the amount of money that's being thrown around these days. Not just at Pitt, but every, and, and Pitt is just you know a comparative small potatoes compared to schools like Texas and USC and what they're getting from their collectives. And uh, it, it's the way of the world. And you know the, these kids aren't amateurs anymore. Uh, they haven't been amateurs for a lot of years, but at least now they're getting paid above the table, and it's all legal. And you know no one's going to get in trouble for for offering kids a, a, a certain incentive to come to your school because everybody's doing it, and it's, it's encouraged. You got you got to do it if you're going to survive. And Pitt really has to do it. 
And that's why this collective, this Alliance 412, is so important for the future of the program. If they don't, they don't get it, and they keep asking for donations, uh, if they don't get those uh, enough donations, then they won't get the, the kids that they need. Hey, um, it's, a, it's a different world, but you're still in it. And uh, say hi to everybody in the press box for me, and thanks for coming on the show. I will, John. Nice talking to you. Take hey, care now. Good talking to you. That's Jerry DePaula, a good man, covers pit football for the Tribune Review. I'll be right back. So you've heard about fake news, and maybe you know it when you see it, but what about dumb news? Uh, Ken LaCourte signed up with Fox News at the beginning uh, when it went on the air, and they, he worked there for a producer for a long time. Uh, you can find him now on YouTube and Substack. He's been a guest here before. We're good. To, we're happy to have him back again. Thanks for coming on, uh, Ken. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. So uh, your example of dumb news begins with a list. You want to take us through it? <laughs> You know, so a friend of mine over dinner the other night, she said, uh, you know, Vallejo, California is more expensive than San Francisco. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Vallejo is like a middle class town in the in the East Bay here. And she said, no, no. Anyhow, dinner went on and she later sent me a, a story on it, which was a CBS News story. And um, and there they said it. They interviewed people in Vallejo who are thinking of moving to Montana. And they were surprised to hear this. And, and so I dug into it, and I found out that that and about 30 other news articles that I saw online were all based from a U.S. US News and World Report, how they have those. You know, they're, they're the king of the listicles. The, right. Here's the college to go to, the most, uh, the most uh, you know, the, the, the city to retire to. Well, they had their city, their list of most expensive cities in, in America. And, like, the top was weird. It was San Diego. Well, okay, but maybe. I, you know, I, I don't really study these numbers all the time but as i'm going down i see number seven in america is salinas california which is like an overwhelming it, it's a it's an ag town and it's and it's and i looked up the numbers it's 79 percent hispanic and most of them are day laborers so i'm like okay that's weird san juan puerto rico where where the average rent price is 500 bucks i'm like what is going on here so as, as i dug into it i look that 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 usa today and and, and world news while they said, you know, these are the most expensive cities, these are the cities, they literally say, the cities that require the most wealth to live comfortably. And I'm like, okay, well, New York's number 11 on this list. This just doesn't make sense. So as I dug into it, what I discovered is that while they said that, they were playing a completely different game. They were trying to say, and I don't know why they were saying this, this is the towns that are most affordable to the average person who lives in this town. So in other words, they looked at, at, you know, Salinas, which again is mainly farmland and farmers and farm workers. And they said, wow, there's a whole bunch of people here making minimum wage and they can't afford to live in an even a modestly priced home. And so by their numbers, that came out as a least affordable. So it was kind of like, now I don't know if USA Today just kind of still called it most expensive because, you know, when you make those lists, People love love to print those up. You know, if you're San Diego, hey, we're number one. If you're Vallejo, yeah. you're like, hey, we're number seven. Right. And and nobody's going to print a list of the well, the median, you know, the ratio between the median household income and the median expenses here is higher rather than lower. So I'm not sure if they were playing games, but you know, but it kicked off to where hundreds of thousands of people, maybe even millions, are just absolutely completely wrong on this because it got picked up by USA uh, USA Today 
which then means it's printed in about you know 500 other other newspapers around the country because there's they're a they're like an AP type service or all over on that and not one editor out of all of those places was able to say wait a second this makes absolutely no sense <laughs> so you know in, in a way though I was kind of happy usually all the fake news is because you know they're mad that I'm, I might vote for Donald Trump again yeah this was actually just stupidity like you know like the good old days well and and your point is uh, the power of it right uh, the somebody makes a listen and uh you make the assumption if you're reading it that well this person must have done a lot of research to come up with this you know first of all you know uh, how you come so up with the often, top 10 and absolutely so often rewrite journalism is i mean it's a scourge and and it's out there because it's cheap you can get a kid and now they'll use chat gpt coming up soon you know you get a 22 year old kid on your staff who's making less than anybody else there he or she can go rewrite five stories a day and put those those up there and you'll start to see that if you look look almost all major sites do that now not one of the one of the sites that i now hate the most which is the new york times but you know you go to fox news and you'll see that you know, twenty percent of their stories are, "Hey, as reported in X newspaper," yeah, uh, um, yeah. you know, and then they turn that into a story. I mean, when I was accused of something incorrectly by a Vanity Fair, uh, anyhow, what, what, one, one of those magazines, there were probably sixty stories written about me, and out of that, one out of all of those those uh, the, the, those stories called me up and said, "Hey, is this true?" And, and then the answer was, well, no, it's not. And here's how I can prove that. So it's, it's, it's a function of they are pushing for volume. They are, they, you know, if, if you do a story that, that's a great story that you just had somebody rewrite that in 40 minutes and you're only paying that person, you know, 16 bucks an hour, that story costs you $16. You know, you do a piece of investigative journalism that you put a pricey person on it for a month. That story costs you thousands of dollars. So, you know, you need to make 400 times as much on the clicks off of, off of an investigative piece as you, as you might onto a listicle. And the financial, the numbers just aren't there, which is why you're seeing more and more of this garbage. Yeah, that's a, a name or a, a term I actually hadn't heard before, listicle. What, what, what qualifies as a listicle? Well, you know what they discovered when, when you come up and have a number often in a headline, um, um, people are more likely to click. It's it's just human behavior. If you say, uh, you know, here are some if you, here are some good gifts to buy for the holiday season, yeah. which isn't really a new story. If you say, here are the here are the seven gifts you can buy for a college student, people click on it more. More than if they and just say, again, here are some nice gifts. They you, yeah. you throw a number on it. Yeah. yeah, you throw a number on it, and then and it, and it's and that's just really easy to do. It's like. Number one, a computer, and you write two sentences and you get on to the other. It doesn't take, it doesn't take much even writing ability, let alone journalism. We're talking to Ken LaCourt. Uh, it's spelled L-A-C-O-R-T-E. You can find him at YouTube and some, uh, Substack. Uh, Substack. I'm having trouble talking today. Um, <laughs> it's also lazy news, obviously, as well as dumb and fake and whatever else you want to call it. It's very lazy news. It, it, it is. And, and look... All the news is making us all now have to do the work. You know, they, they write something like this, and you're like, now what do I believe? Um, um, because if I have a higher BS meter than, you know, the editor and the reporter who puts it together, that's a problem, especially when they're trying to fool me. This is just an interest of them, incidents of them being dumb. 
Yeah, and a, a, a producer is the person that's supposed to be the gatekeeper on this? Uh, it depends if you're talking TV or, or, or print. Uh, a producer is generally somebody who is putting together a TV story in conjunction with a reporter. Yeah. Um, so that's, and sometimes they're writing producers, and sometimes they're just the people who make calls and set up the interviews and find the B-roll and all that stuff. But in this instance, you know, a reporter and an editor... You know, there was a there was an editor who assigned who read the story in on USA US News and World Report, who then assigned it to a reporter, and then either that editor or another editor looked at it and said, "Yeah, this all makes sense. Make sure this is right, et cetera, et cetera." So you had multiple people uh, uh, in the process on this, and nobody cared. Nobody either paid attention or was smart. And of course, you. The ability to do this is much um, more prevalent now and, and easier. It's easier to be able to do this now in the age of the Internet um, because you have access to every newspaper that's printed in the United States right now, printed or put up online. Uh, you couldn't, you really, if you were going to do these kinds of lists, you couldn't read 15 different newspapers to come up with whatever your topic was. You're, you're right. The rewrite journalism. Now, before, and, and people still do this, they subscribe to AP or, yeah, yeah. or Reuters or other sources that, that, that say, hey, for a small fee, you can reprint our, our, our articles in your newspaper. Um, but now it's like for, for the popping ones that, that you don't see on your, if you're paying for it and our, and our, you know, CBS and you don't see it on the Reuters or, or, or AP feed, you write up your own stuff. And, it's, it's um, you know, anytime you see in the first sentence or two, you see them linking to, you know, as first reported in the, or, mm-hmm. or as reported by blank, you know, I always click over that blank because that's going to have more, you know, whatever that original source was, because yeah. that's going to have, you know, it's going to have more full information if they have any asterisks or question mark, it's there, and then at least you know who to blame if, if, if you know, if it's, if it's bad and who you should and shouldn't trust in the world. Now, this would seem like a pretty easy and effective way of uh, purposely creating fake news, isn't it? If you were... Yeah, certainly in this instance, I don't think that that's what it yeah. was. I mean, most of them, yes. Um, um, somebody says, somebody quotes an anonymous person saying, uh, Donald Trump picked up a fish and slapped me. Yeah. And then you over at USA Today don't even have to do any kind of, all you have to do is say, oh, Radar Online reported that uh, Donald Trump slapped somebody with a fish. And so that then even if the original story gets proven wrong, you're like, well, I didn't say it was right. I just said that Radar Online was reporting this. My reporting's correct. I, you know, they did report that. So it, 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 it also has the bad, the bad tendency of, of allowing editors and, and news organizations to kind of say, oh, well, you know, we're, we're kicking off that responsibility to, to you, who, you know, whoever it is we were writing up. Don't blame me. Yeah. CBS reported that originally. So, you know, talk to them even though what they did is just, of course, you know, expand on when that is bad news. Now, you worked at Fox News for a long time, um, and I know you were in a digital. You were the uh, foxnews.com guy. But e- even if, you're, if you are working at a, a network like that, whether, whatever um, medium you're using, were there rules? If somebody came to you and said, hey, here's a story that Donald Trump slapped somebody with a fish, what as you as a producer, what are you supposed to do? You know, it kind of depends on 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 a number of things. Um, it, it, it depends a on the size of the outlet and the credibility of the outlet itself. If if the you know, and a lot of times they will find stories that's like 
you just can't replicate that. And, you know, certainly in the next, certainly in the next, you know, few days. So then you have to say, all right, how do we deal with this? For instance, uh, Wall Street Journal said, uh, you know, had sources with inside Gaza saying, you know, some of the Gazan, uh, uh, some of the Hamas members were talking to Iran, um, um, and and you know, ahead of the attack on this. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's no way that 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 you know, you and 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 some reporters sitting in a newsroom some way are going to be able to confirm that or whatnot. So they're judgment calls. And that's what, when you have to determine, you know, who you, whose, whose judgment you, you, you believe in. Right. Yeah. Um, so sometimes they're judgment calls, you know, sometimes something like this, it's like, wait a second, why is Puerto Rico the, you, you tell me Puerto Rico is more expensive than New York city, you know, yeah. the phone guys. Yeah. Well, um, um, or, or you also know that when it comes to politics, it's like, you know, who do you know, it, it, people have become so untrustworthy that you really have to have a high BS detector on it. Yeah, and you mentioned the list, you know, a dumb little list about the most expensive uh, cities to live in or whatever that it, somebody put together. And, and you know, before I read your piece about it, I, I never really thought about it that much. But there's a lot of power in that list. If you are saying, in this case, it was the most expensive to live, I mean, it, if it gets around to enough people, it could it could cause thousands of people not to come to live in your city, and maybe it's a city I mean, that's I, looking to get people to live there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I so they literally the, the local CBS affiliate in in the San Francisco area did did this story, and you know they sent out a reporter and they went to Vallejo and they interviewed people who were like, "Well, we're surprised to learn that yeah. it's more expensive to live here in Little Vallejo than San Francisco. I guess we're going to have to move to Montana." And I was like, "Well, you know, that might be a good move, but but not because." It's more expensive in Vallejo than it is in San Francisco. So, it, you know. Well, you don't. Yeah. When you're, when and, you're, you know, multiply stuff like that, this out times millions and millions oh, yeah. of people, and sure. Well, when you're working in the media, and you and I both have done it for a long time, sometimes you, you lose sight of the fact, of, of, uh, depending on where you're working, about how much power and how right. much effect uh, what you say or write uh, could, how much effect it can have and the power of it. Um, yep. You have to be really careful. If, if, yeah. if you're if you're dealing if you're working somewhere where you're reaching millions of people, and, <laughs> and you don't picture in your mind when you're making that list up of some poor guy loading up his truck and heading for Montana, <laughs> you know, because he read your list. But you know, it took you ten yeah. seconds to put it in there, and this guy's whole life has changed. Yeah, no, it's very true. I mean, the power of the media—it's it's a massive megaphone, and and it's. Um, and sometimes you have to remember that. You know, my girlfriend's a reporter there for Fox News right now. Mm-hmm. And I tell her, it's like, you know, when you're looking into that camera lens, and I, I don't tell her right before it hit, I'm like, you've got about two, two and a half million people who are watching you. That's yeah. like, you know, do the math, however many stadiums full of people, 30 oh, yeah. stadiums or 25 stadiums full of people, and they're not a 1,000 yards away from you or 100 yards away from you. They're, they're five feet away from you. It's like, it, it's kind of mind-blowing when you when you – Think of, of the power of the media in those terms. I have about a minute. Even, even us right now. I mean, this feels like a personal yeah. conversation between you and me. And yeah. I know you've got thousands of people who are listening to us and they're not in our room. It's, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, 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 it's weird. Speaking of the power, i got about a minute and a half left with uh, Ken LaCourt. Um, the debate ratings on NBC are in the toilet, or were in the toilet. Um, what do you think of that? Um. I think that, that a lot of people, and I'm one of them, who might be political junkies, I'm kind of like, you know, I think this primary is over. Yeah. You know, unless they, 
they they put Trump in jail and say he you know he's he he can't run. A judge somehow says he can't run. Do I really want to watch the the other people fight for scraps to be number three or number two on on this? It's it seems seems kind of meaningless. So why would I spend two hours of watching one person who's not going to be president attack somebody else who's not going to be president? Yeah, so I, I I just lost all interest personally. And so there wasn't much chance of it doing well starting out. Yeah, I, I think unless you know unless somebody kind of has a breakout where. Mm-hmm where, you know, you're seeing their numbers come up closer to Trump and like, wow, or, you know, he drops 10 points because yeah. he, you know, babbles on or, 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 or again, gets, gets, has the legal problem uh, actually, actually become a, a political problem for him. Um, you look, his strategy on avoiding those debates, uh, it was questionable ahead of time. You could make the argument earlier that, hey, is he showing his weakness like he's afraid of people? It turned out to be an absolutely brilliant strategy. He makes them look like Lilliputians, and he's so, he, he's so big and powerful of a giant that he doesn't even have to come into the room. And, you know, and whether you're voting for him or not voting for him in the primary, I, I think people all came to that conclusion of he didn't need to be there. He's the boss. Hey, I'm, I'm out of time, Ken. Uh, people can find you at Substack and YouTube. Ken Lacorte, L-A-C-O-R-T-E. Always good to have you on. We'll talk again soon, I hope. Great, John. Love it. All Take right. care. We'll be back. Well, tomorrow is uh, Veterans Day, and I'm not a veteran. I always uh, have a lot of respect for the guys who are. And uh, one of the things I've been doing, if you follow me on Twitter, at Steigerworld, uh, you'll see that I repost these things all the time. Uh, Senator Doug Mastriano, who I'm sure you're aware of, ran for governor uh, Pennsylvania, um, every day he posts pictures of veterans who were killed. And most of them are from Vietnam, the Vietnam War. And um, I try to post them. Almost every one that he puts up there I will repost because I think it's a good idea to remember these these guys. But it hits home to me because, as I said, most of them are from the Vietnam War. And that's the war that I didn't have to go to. Uh, I got a high number in the draft lottery. If I'd have gotten a low number, who knows, I might have ended up there. But the, the reason it hits home with me is that I look at these things and you see a picture of a kid, and it's a kid, who's night, and it'll say on there that the kid is 19 years old. They're always 18, 19, 20, 19. And that was me. Those were guys... Those guys were my, I was exactly the same age as those guys. Here I am a million years later. I'm still alive. I've lived a full life. And they died in Vietnam. Uh, and it, and it's, he'll say it on this day. So today, just for example, he reposted, uh, or I reposted this one from De- Senator Doug Mastriano. First Lieutenant Bernard Francis Kistler. K-I-S-T-L-E-R of Franklin, PA, gave his all on this day in 1966 in South Vietnam in Tay Ninh Province. Kistler is honored on the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. on panel 12E slash line 43. We will never forget you, brother. And every day, every day of the year, Doug Mastriano puts up several of these, and it's, as I said, it hits home, so... Uh, at least, you know, spend a minute tomorrow remembering 
these people and maybe check out Senator Doug Mastriano on uh, Twitter at Sen Mastriano and uh, just follow him. Just it, it's just it's obvious what he's doing. These these guys died now what uh, six almost sixty years ago, uh, and they're still dead. But at least people can. <clears throat> he's he's giving these guys a, a two or three seconds of remembrance, and a lot of people get to see it. So I think that's good. And I'll talk to you on Monday. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.